You're listening to the New Hope Church podcast. To learn more about what we're doing on the south side of Indianapolis, you can check us out online at becomehope.com. If you like what you're hearing here, be sure you check out one of our companion podcasts. We have a daily devotional podcast called Let's Find Out Together, as well as an apologetics podcast called Salty Saints. Let's listen in. Today's talk comes from Zach Killy. Good morning. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here at New Hope, and uh, we've done it a couple times today, but I say we get things started off right. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Um, You know, we've all heard that. That's why we're here, I'm sure, right? We do this every year. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We believe that Jesus Christ has resurrected, right? The, The question, though, is... Why do we believe that? Right? Like, like why? Like, what, what evidence? What proof? You know, you often hear people say, well, you know, I'm a Christian because I just have faith. And that's, that's right. We're called to have faith. We're called to live by faith. But faith doesn't mean blind faith. We're to have good reason. We're to have faith because it makes sense, right? So I want to read something out of 1 Peter 3.15 right now. It says this. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. We can't all do that. I struggle with that, or I've struggled with that at times in my life. But we're called to it. We're commanded to be able to explain why I believe what I believe, not just that I blindly do. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to do something maybe a little different than what a lot of churches are doing today. But I want to present to you a defense for the resurrection. And here's the deal. I'm going to plagiarize a lot of this because other people are smarter than me, namely a group of pastors at a church called the Parkway Church. I listen to their podcast regularly, and a few years ago, I listened to their defense. And so I've stolen a lot of what they said because they're smart cookies. It's true stuff, though, so I can steal it. It's okay. And I'm going to add some of my own stuff to it, all right? But I just want to be very upfront with that. So we got a lot to cover. Let's get right into it. And your first thought may be, okay, Zach, you're going to make a defense for Christianity. Some of you may be thinking, look, there's a lot of major world religions that have had a big impact on the world. Can't they make a reasonable defense for what they believe? Let's think about it. Let's take Islam, for for instance, right? All of Islam hinges on one man's accounts and dreams. And either you believe Muhammad or you don't. It all comes down to him. What about Buddhism? Gautama Buddha. Everything in Buddhism hinges on what he said and what he believed. So you either take him at his word or you don't. Let's think of Mormonism. Joseph Smith, right? It's just him. It all comes down to just him. Hinduism, that one's a little different. Hinduism is interesting because it changes from person to person. It changes from tribe to tribe, and it absorbs every religion it comes in contact with. So that one's even more kind of out there. It's it's a lot of depictions rather than just one account. It's always changing. But then you have Christianity. 
that stands out against all of them. It's totally different because it stakes a claim on one moment in history witnessed by hundreds, prophesied in works hundreds of years before it happens, and then attested to through scriptures, written by roughly 40 authors over the course of 1,600 years. It makes a historical claim. And you know what that means? That means we can test it. And that's super important. But here's the deal. We can't test it the way you might think. A lot of the time when people talk about Jesus or they talk about the resurrection, they're like, we'll prove it scientifically. And here's the deal. You can't. Because you can't prove history scientifically. That is not how history works. We can't recreate World War II and test it a bunch of times and see what happens. We can't recreate the Holocaust and see what happens. That's not how it works. We have to go off of historical evidence. And the more that builds up, the more you can determine what may be true, what may not be true, right? We're building the likelihood of something or the unlikelihood of something. And so let's start with the big one. Let's start with where most people start. Did Jesus even exist? You hear people say that. And when people ask me that question, I generally come to a pretty fast conclusion, and that's that they haven't really studied much of this. Okay? And I'm not being mean. I'm just saying this is kind of undisputed. Okay? Now, I could go off of, like, the nine writers of the New Testament that all say, hey, we know the people that saw this, this happened. Some of us saw it firsthand. I could go off of the 500 witnesses that saw this happen, right? But some people may say, well, that's biased. We can't go off of that. So let's set that aside. Let's go with, like, atheists and non-Christians. I think that's helpful, right? So where can we start? Let's start with Josephus. Josephus was a Jew. He was kind of a traitor, kind of sells his, his people out, and he goes and he works for the Romans. And this would have been several decades after Jesus, right? So he goes and he is the Roman librarian and historian at the a Alexandrian Library before it burns. Okay, so he has access to all the information in the known world. And what does he say? Well, some people would say that Josephus believed Jesus was the Christ, Almost all scholars, including Christian scholars, say that has been added. He did not believe that, okay? But what he does say is this. He mentions James. And he says, yes, the brother of Jesus, the one they call the Christ, James. He's talking about James. He's not even talking about Jesus, but that's all we need. That is all we need is one historical comment on Jesus from a person that doesn't even believe that he's God. You get that in Josephus. What about Tacitus? Tacitus is a Roman, and he doesn't even like the Christians. In fact, he's putting them down when he talks about them. And what's he say about the Christians? Well, they're worshiping this guy named Jesus who was tortured and killed at the hands of Pontius Pilate. Well, that's interesting. You see Pliny the Younger, he's also Roman. He's the same time frame. He makes mention to Jesus. But what about today? What do we have today? Bart Ehrman, the great skeptic. He's one of the, the great New Testament scholars. But guess what? He doesn't believe Jesus is God. But you know what he believes wholeheartedly? Jesus existed. It's undisputed. Jesus Christ existed. 
So we've got something to go off of. And you know what else we know? We know that he died at the hands of the Roman Empire. We got that documented. That happened. But that's not what we're celebrating today. We're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. So the question is, what happened to the body? Well, you got two options. The body is either still in the tomb where they laid him down, or it isn't. That's it. Those are your two options. So let's start with the first one. Is it in the tomb? I'm going to say no. And here's why. Think about it. The Jews hate the Christians. Because what are the Christians doing? The Christians come along and they say, look, this man that is alive or that was living, right? He's God. And he died and now he's resurrected. And it is screwing up everything that the Jews are teaching. Because they don't want to believe that God has come down. They don't believe Jesus is him, right? They hate the Christians to the point they are stoning them to death and they are putting them in prison. Let's go to the flip side. The Roman government hates the Christians to the point that they are putting them on stakes in the streets and lighting them on fire. Anybody familiar with Roman candles at the 4th of July? That's where that comes from. We're the Roman candles. That's not good. They hate us because they wanted the Christians to bend the knee to Caesar and worship him as God. But the Christians wouldn't do it. So what would be the easiest way to stop both of those things from happening? Go get the body. Just go show them the body and they'll go, oh, okay, I guess he isn't resurrected. Well, that's done. But you know what they never do? produce a body because it's not there. So who took it? Well, we got, we got two options. One, he resurrected, but you know, we'll set that to the side for the minute. So let's say the disciples took it, right? Because that makes sense. There's an entire Babylon Bee video right now about this. You should check it out. It's hilarious. But why? Why would they take the body? Are they trying to get riches? They're trying to get famous? They're trying to be loved by all the people? No. Jesus tells them that's not going to happen. You're going to be hated for following me. I mean, Peter's been denying that he even knows Jesus because he knows he's going to get killed for it. They don't want to have anything to do with Jesus right around the resurrect or right around the crucifixion. Why would they then, after realizing Jesus isn't God, right? If he's dead, he's not God. Why would they go make that up so they can be Hated so they can be tortured, so they can be decapitated, boiled alive, set on fire, fed to animals, brutally murdered. That sounds fun, right? Let's go make up a narrative that gets us killed. That'd be awesome. No, it makes no sense. So why would they do that? But let's say they did. Let's just imagine they did. Don't you think somewhere in the middle of all the torture, one of them would have broke one of them would have said, okay, we made it up. We made it up. Just one. Because here's a fun fact for you. Did you know the average CIA agent, when being put through waterboarding, do you know how long they last? 14 seconds. 14 seconds. If you're making it up, you're going to tell somebody eventually. They will get you to your breaking point in the middle of torture. But it never happened. They all died for it. That's 
kind of a big deal, right? But let's say, you know, they just were really tough and they got through all that. That's cool. So what did they do? How'd they get it? Well, they would have had to have stolen the body, right? Well, here's the problem, is there's two Roman guards posted up at the tomb. And if those guards let somebody sneak in, get the body and get away, do you know what happens to the Roman guards? They're killed. They're put to death for failing their task. So these guys kind of take their job seriously, right? So I think that eliminates all bribes because no bribe is going to be good enough to be the equivalent of your life or better than your life, right? That doesn't work. So let's say they did sneak past them. Do you know what they would have had to have done to get the body out of the tomb? They would have had to have moved a six-foot-tall, one-foot-thick, 4,000-pound rock up an incline, get in, get the body, and then neatly fold up all the little blankets and leave them there and the wrappings and put them there, and then take it off without the Romans figuring them out. It didn't happen, guys. The body's not there. And there is no earthly reasonable explanation as to why it's gone. Okay? So that's the tomb. That's the empty tomb. That matters, right? Let's go on to the witnesses. We already talked about that a little bit. There were over 500 disciples that saw the resurrected Jesus. And Paul in his writings tells us, most of them are still alive at the time of Paul writing. He said some have died, but most are still living, right? Do you, do you realize what that means? That anybody reading Paul's letters could go, oh, well, I'm just going to go ask Jerry what he saw. I'm going to go over here and I'm going to ask these people. There's 500 people in Jerusalem. That can't be hard to find. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to go talk to them. When I was in middle school, do you know what we would do? We would bring in Holocaust survivors to talk to us. Because they saw it. They witnessed it. It happened. And no one disputes that because a bunch of people saw it. If 500 people witness anything in the world, in our modern court, that's a done deal. It happened. And the interesting thing is of those 500 disciples, do you know who the two people that found that empty tomb are? They're women. Why does that matter, Zach? Well, it's because women had no bearing on the weight of a decision in the first century. A woman's testimony meant zilch, nothing, nothing. Even in the court of law, if, if you had a 500 women saw something happen in the court of law, they couldn't testify because it was meaningless, okay? What that means is the only reason you would ever include in a story that is about a man being, you know, resurrecting from the grave and finding an empty tomb, the only reason you would ever include women is if it actually happened. Because they had no reason. If they were making up the story, they would have said, yeah, and then, uh, you know, James and John went to the tomb and they found that it was empty because that would have held up. There is no reason to include women unless it's true. Let's go to the craziest one. The witnesses, they saw Jesus, but maybe he didn't really die and resurrect. Maybe he faked it. Well, here's the problem with that. And here's the thing, you can laugh, but there's a lot of people in the world that use this excuse, okay? So let's think about it. 
That means that he was whipped 40 times with a whip full of shrapnel that is tearing the flesh off of his body. And then they press a crown of thorns deep into his, into his skin, into his head, right? And then they put these big nails through both his hands and his feet, which would destroy nerve endings, rendering your hands and feet completely useless. And then, to make sure he's dead, they would take the spear and drive it up through the side and puncture the heart to make sure he is absolutely done for. But hey, let's just say they missed, okay? That means Jesus would have to, like, hold his breath and just stay really still and lay there long enough for them to be like, okay, I think he's actually dead. And then they haul him off and they put him in a tomb. And then they wrap him up like a mummy so he could never get out of this thing. So somehow he gets out of that thing. They roll the 4,000-pound stone in front of that door on an incline, remember? And now he's going to get up and use his useless hands and feet and roll that away from the inside, which is physically impossible. Then he's going to limp miles to Emmaus and say, oh, hey, guys, and they're going to go, wow, you look great. No. I've had a sunburn and been down for a week. This guy is going nowhere, okay? Like, it's not happening. So that's the witness testimonies. We've got an empty tomb. We've got a bunch of people that saw this, and there is no earthly explanation for either other than it actually happened. Well, the final question is this. Maybe it's just a legend. Maybe a legend developed over time. And let's just nip this one in the bud real quick, okay? It didn't happen that way, and here's why. There wasn't enough time. Within days of Jesus coming back, there are people in the streets preaching it. They are preaching that Jesus Christ has died and he has risen, so repent of your sins and believe and live or be condemned. That's the message from the beginning. That's within days. Within months, they're writing documents saying, hey, this is what happened, and we have those documents. And within years, we have, uh, we have actual, the gospel spreading throughout the empire, okay? We have both of those things. Within 20 years, 15 to 20 years, we have the scriptures, entire books rolling out about this, which is incredibly fast for that time in the world, okay? There was no time for legend to develop, and the story never changes. It stays the same. And all those people go on and give their lives. They lay down their entire lives to the spreading of this truth, and it takes over the known world in a matter of years, Okay? There is no explanation for that. That is absolutely huge. So you put all that together, and what do you get? You get no earthly explanation for being nobody in the tomb. You've got enough eyewitnesses to win any court case modern day, and you have a story that has never changed and has spread like wildfire, changing the entire world. Okay? We think a certain way, that people have not always thought. Do you understand that? The basis of the way we think about the world is directly impacted by the Bible. Western civilization would not exist without Christianity, yet it does. It's crazy. So here's the deal. You can't just dispute some of this. Everything I've just said to you, 
You could find these crazy little arguments that don't make sense, but that's okay. You can find them, and you can pick apart certain aspects of this. But the thing about all this information is you have to disprove all of it. Not just some of it, all of it, because it all builds on top of each other. And you can't disprove any of it. So with all that historical evidence, I think it seems kind of likely, just say it. All this adds up to one thing. Do you know what that is? He is risen. That's right. So why does that matter? Because that's worth asking. Why does that matter? What? Who cares if he rose from the dead? Some people say, I don't want to have anything to do with any God. Well, here's why it matters. I think we would all agree that this world we live in is pretty broken. Right? People die. People get sick. People hate each other. Life is not fair. Life is not always good. And it wasn't always like that. See, in the beginning, God created a perfect world. He created a perfect earth. And do you know why he made that? Because he loves you. That's it. And so he made the first man and the first woman. He named them Adam and Eve, and he gave them one rule. Guess what? They broke that rule. We call that sin. That is when we disagree with what God does. We're disobedient to what God does. And that sin, that one sin, is why we live in this broken world. Now, people like you and me, we spend our whole lives trying to get out of this broken world. And we do that through all kinds of means. We do that through sex. We do that through drugs. We do that through alcohol. We do that on the pursuit of power, on the pursuit of wealth, trying to be prideful, trying to be somebody in this world. And for a minute, it feels good. But then it snaps you back to reality and you realize you never left. You're still here in this broken world where people are hurt and people die. God saw that. He saw you. He saw what you're going through. He knows you. He's always known you. And the plan was always to give you the way out, even though you didn't deserve it. And so what God does is he sends his son, Jesus. We believe Jesus is God himself, stepped down into humanity. He became a person. He lived the perfect life you don't live, that you could never live. And he died the death that you deserve because the price for our sin is death. So he took all that on himself and he died for us. And all you have to do is believe. If you believe in him, if you put your faith in him, if you just turn away from who you used to be and you turn towards him and say, I don't want to be who I've been because it's not working. Show me how to do this thing right. Then he comes and he gives you his spirit. He puts his Holy Spirit inside of you. And he gives you the life of that perfect world right here in this broken world. Because he still needs you to be here in this broken world. Because now you're his agent of change to go reach the next person and tell them the story I just told you. Here's the deal. If all of that's true, if God will really grant us everlasting life, all I have to do is believe in Jesus Christ. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and you believe it in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, then you are saved. You have everlasting life. Amen. If that is true, he deserves all of you. 
all of you. I went to the Stations of the Cross yesterday, and uh, in one of the rooms, it was When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, that old hymn. It was just playing on repeat. And it's this dark room and there's candles. And I want to read you the words to this song. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss, and I pour contempt on all my pride. I hate my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love come mingled down. Did ever such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? If the whole realm of nature were mine, that would be a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, it demands my soul, my life, my all. If I owned everything in the world, if I had everything to give, it would never be enough. And guess what? God doesn't want it. He doesn't want your stuff. You know what he wants? He wants you. All of you. There are people in this room who we won't see until Christmas. There's people in this room that go to church twice a year. There's people in this room that go to church every Sunday, but the other six days of the week, they look like they never went to church at all. There's people that are doing everything right on the surface. They're doing all the ritual. They're doing all the stuff. But on the inside, they are unchanged. But Jesus doesn't want that from us. He doesn't doesn't just want you two days a year. He doesn't want you on just Sundays. And he doesn't want your ritual. He wants you. He wants your heart. He wants your soul. He wants everything you are. He wants you to know him, and he wants to know you intimately, deeply, one-on-one. He says, I want to be one with you. And he wants us to be one with each other. If all of this is true, and I think we can make the case that it is, he deserves that because he's God. And we're not. And he loves us anyways. He is risen. Amen. Repent, believe, and live. Because there is no life apart from him. Thanks for tuning in to the New Hope Church podcast. If you would do us a favor and like or subscribe on your favorite platform, we would really appreciate it. Also, if you happen to have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at questions at becomehope.com. Have a great week and know that we are praying for you as you seek to be Jesus in every corner of your world.